Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. So this time last night, folks, we were waiting for Andy Murray to play Felix Auger-Aliassime and uh, we were worried that it was going to be an all-time classic and we would completely miss out. Well, we needn't have worried. It wasn't an all-time classic. It was straight set. Felix Auger-Aliassime was incredible. Uh, Andy Murray couldn't keep up. And Tim Henman on Amazon Prime Video declared that Auger-Aliassime is the man. The man in waiting. The man who is better than Tsitsipas and Zverev and Shapovalov and Medvedev. Discuss. Yeah, Tim thinks he is the best player to emerge since the Big Four. Wow. Mm. Best best player in 50. We were discussing Shapovalov earlier because we were covering covering that one uh, in the studio and dipping out for, for comment from, from Tim and, and Laura Robson. And I, I was asking, I was <laughs> having the will Shapovalov achieve his potential debate. And <laughs> Tim said, yeah, I think he will. And I said, what's his potential? He said, don't know. <laughs> so I said, so we both don't know if he'll achieve his potential. We're just uh, coming at it, coming at the semantics slightly differently. Um, but he, but he said he said look the pr- problem is he's being compared to to Felix Auger-Aliassime who is the best player to emerge since the Big Four in what's fifteen he basing years. That on? He said, "What what's what's convinced him to go that big about this guy?" For me, it has to be more than just that performance last night because yeah. Andy Murray was depleted. They're not here to make the case themselves. I'm not necessarily endorsing going that big. Um, but if you'll remember, Indian Wells 2019, oh, yes. Greg, Greg coined the term right-handed Rafael Nadal and predicted he would end the year in the world's top, t- top 10. Um, so it is not new to be going big on Felix Auger-Elysim. I think... I think Mary Carrillo, she was uh, in the opening half hour of our prime coverage today. And she, as I said to her in text, she she didn't just steal the show. She ran away with it 
never for it to return again. Um, she said, if you could design the perfect tennis player, it would be Felix Auger-Elysim. She said she previously thought that, that that badge belonged to Bjorn Borg. But she said now for her, it belongs to Felix Auger-Elysim. She said physically, in terms of his frame and the balance of it, it could not possibly be more perfect for a tennis player. And she made this observation, which I completely agree with, that you you don't notice that he's six foot four. I think most people, it's a bit like Steven Gerrard. Everyone's always discovered to, uh, always surprised to discover Steven Gerrard's six foot tall. It, he, he moves so well and there's something about the balance of the way he moves that makes him look, I don't know, I'd probably put him at about Djokovic height, six, six foot one You don't really hear him, do you? You don't hear his footsteps particularly. No, there's just nothing laboured about it at all. Um, and of course, add to that, you know, that ri- ridiculous forehand that makes my wrist ache just looking at it and the, the slightly flatter backhand. Um, and he's really improved the second serve. That was a glaring area of relative weakness and he's clearly used his lockdown time wisely and and worked on areas of his game he isn't he's absolutely not the complete package last night against Andy Murray probably will have been slightly misleading as to where he's at because Andy Murray was depleted but that doesn't mean he's not the real deal because he is yeah I agree with all that and I think his his movement was even more obviously brilliant yesterday in contrast to Andy Murray, who who did look stiff and sore and kind of laboured in his walking, which was which was quite a sad sight and something that I had probably um I had probably overestimated his ability to recover after that Nishioka match. I thought he would be able to recover better than that. Um but Auger Aliasim, you mentioned his serve there. That for, that for me was the the, the standout thing from last night because we've known he's a good mover we've we've known he likes to dominate with that forehand when he can but to be I, th- I think he hit 24 aces and only two double faults I mean that is an incredibly positive ratio against a good returner like Andy Murray albeit not quite Andy Murray at his best and if if he can if he can keep that consistency going with his serve that takes him to a level that he's not yet displayed other than last night because that for me was his best performance I've ever seen but and it was it was built on on that serve and from there the rest of his game which we know to be smooth and fluid kind of just all flowed and and it was it was difficult not to get swept up by that performance I agree hit hit more than 50 winners in the match and at one stage there was a stat that popped up in the first set that showed he'd hit 14 winners to Murray's zero and which was quite a chastening sight but when you looked at the way he actually tried to play the match I mean he's a very very nice respectful young man who did nothing but pay Murray all the respect he could after the match but in terms of the way he actually played the match it was nigh on disrespectful the way he went after the ball he was trying to destroy Murray from the baseline if the ball came anywhere near him he was trying to swipe winners and that's it's really it's really quite a sight to see the way he just goes after after the ball and he's he's trying to hit the ball harder than he needs to at times which is 
it's such a spectacular sight. But I still find myself wondering, because, look, I, I was swept up in it as well last night, and I was really taken when Tim said that on Prime Video. It just stopped me in my tracks because I wasn't expecting something as, as um, bold from somebody in Tim who doesn't tend to make grandiose statements, you know? So it really it had more on it in, in a way, and particularly given the way he listed all the other players and and. I tend to think of Sitsipas as the one that that I'm thinking of as the next most likely on a personal level. But then you also think, well, this guy's beaten Sitsipas pretty handily a few times. I just don't quite understand, therefore, why he's taken four sets by Montero the round before and very, very close sets, four hours of, of tennis. And, and and so where do, the, where do the pitfalls come? Why doesn't he... Why hasn't he already reached a Grand Slam semi-final, for instance? I know he's young, but why not? Did anybody watch all sets, all four sets of uh, Felix Auger-Aliassime against Thiago Montero? I was I was watching five <laughs> sets of Mario against Nishioka. I'm just <laughs> yeah, trying to exactly. get my head around it, really. Why? I mean, I know the the second serve. I get that point, but I, when I watch what I saw against Murray, you kind of think, well. It's very hard to spot a weakness any, anywhere else. I mean, his backhand's great. His forehand's great. His movement is incredible. He's got the perfect physique, I agree. So I'm, uh, I'm a little baffled as to why he's had a sketchy six months before lockdown sort of thing. He's got no belly button. <laughs> Has he not? <laughs> Mary, on on, I thought you were watching this, David. Am I exposing the fact that you 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 don't, in fact, watch watch our coverage? Um, Mary, in in that same dynamic four minute uh, insert that she had into our show earlier, said um, she was she waxed lyrical about just what an absolute joy he was to watch as a tennis player, his physique, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then she said, and he's such a blooming nice guy as well. He's this lovely guy. He's, you know, nice to everyone, respectful for everyone. He's able to have fangs off the court and be this lovely, cuddly teddy bear off the court. His best friend is his sister. I'm editorialising a bit here. I love the fact that he says his best friend is his sister. He takes his own maple syrup around the world with him. He's just, she said, well, I mean, does this guy even have a belly button? <laughs> is he real? <laughs> he's just, yeah, he's just too good to be true. <laughs> that's very good uh well very much looking forward to seeing him play now against Quarantin Mouté of uh of France Quarantin not you, you not Quarantine Mouté <laughs> he's not he's not one of the Quarantine 11 although it would be kind of perfect if he were he's very much not when I was watching him play against Dan Evans today on I've come home for the weekend, so I was with my my daughter, and she came. She says, "Oh, who's that?" And I, and I was trying really hard to say his name correctly, and she said, "Oh, it's kind of like quarantine." And I thought, oh, "Now that's in my head." <laughs> oh, no. And now I've made it even more in your head, and I feel bad yeah. about that. Oh dear, um, <laughs> because that's very much a word that my ten year old understands now, which I really wish she <laughs> didn't have to. But there we are. Um, but. I mean, he was, we talked about him last night and he finished the job against Evans today and it was 
It was a surprise to me. I, I mean, Evans came out and did what I expected him to do. He took hold of the, the tie break and he led it 4-1. And Mute turned it around. I mean, wow, that guy, for a start, he's a real fighter. Although he, I know I know the racket's going everywhere and so forth, but he's, he's in there still. He, he kind of puts it away. He's one of these that... I don't look. I, I know it's only a, a single match, but there were there was enough evidence there to see how he loses his mind apparently, and then regathers himself and plays the next point. Um, and he came back from four-one down, won that tie break. He was a breakdown in the fifth set against was it or four sets? I can't remember how many sets there were. Four sets, yeah. Um, and it looked like Evans would take it five at that point, and Mute turned it around again and it's it's once again the blurring speed off the mark that that really strikes but uh i mean crikey that could if he plays well against felix that could be a heck of a sight couldn't it yes please to that match up um yeah i mean i i found not only from just, you know, the slight British perspective of Dan Evans losing, especially as he was the last Brit stand, he was the last the last bowling pin to fall. Um, but I found the resumption of that match ever so slightly disappointing today after what what came the the day before. Um maybe because it wasn't a night match, I don't know. It felt it felt night matchy. It felt like it should have been one of those night matches where there's sort of lots of clearly drunk people in the crowd, you know, discovering Corentin Mute and Dan Evans for the first time and deciding they're the world's biggest fans of one or other of them. Um, yeah, it just, it's it's slightly disappointed today that basically there wasn't as much aggro as yesterday and that was a disappointment to me. And Dan Evans... He didn't enjoy being played at his own game, did he? Didn't enjoy being out Evans very much. It was like he was sort of going, "No, I'm the guy with the with the lovely touch and the trickery. You, I'm supposed to make you look one dimensional. Why, why are you doing this to me? This the, is the, what I do to other people." There was one rally where the gets from Mute were just ridiculous and and usually when the ball's in the air for Evans he will put away a high volley or a smash and he hit one smash and it came back and you could see that it rattled Evans so much that this ball was still in play given all he'd thrown at the guy that he eventually just kind of shanked the 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 overhead he, he got Mute got in his head yeah how do we assess Dan Evans's two grand slams this year then because by all accounts he's playing the best tennis of his life of his career he's had incredible results this season risen in the rankings beaten players ranked higher than him okay he's still got the French Open to come but realistically our expectations of him at the French Open would be lower anyway so doesn't I feel like we wouldn't read too much into whatever result comes out of that but you know that's two second round losses now against Nishioka and Mute, instantly both left-handed. I, I, I don't know. I just wonder whether there's a, there's a match-up thing there that he doesn't like. But I feel like he's at a stage in his career now where he's, all, he's becoming a little bit of a scalp at these slams in these early rounds. And he doesn't quite have the slam results to, in recent times to back up how well he's been playing. So I'm not sure he's going into these slams with quite as much 
confidence or swagger as he probably should have, and he's and therefore he's coming unstuck a little bit earlier than we might expect him to. Um, I don't know. I just think it's it's a little hurdle that it's kind of the next hurdle that he needs to overcome, perhaps. And he's ever since he's come back from his ban, he's he's been overcoming all the hurdles. So I I kind of expect him to do it, but I. Based on the tennis he's been playing, I would have thought he would have had better slam results this year. And I think I think it's okay to be slightly disappointed by them. I don't think he loves playing other shorter players. I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't have specific stats on that. But for me, the similarities with Mute and with the Nishioka match is that his, his slice, that devilish mm. slice that he has, is less biting because, you know, the... the 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 savagery of it is how low it stays and how much it shoots through the court and these these shorter guys with a lower center of gravity doesn't do the same damage to them and actually it just really struck me how much he was hitting the top spin backhand against Mute and look it's a, it's a good shot it's a lovely looking shot but he's I don't think he's I don't think playing that way is ever going to be his forte. He, he can't mess those two around. Mm. He has to play them and beat them. He has to go and take it to them and kind of outplay them. Um, and I think he, I mean, look, he wasn't that far away against Mute and, and, and he kind of probably did blow a couple of chances as well as the other guy played. Um, so, yeah, I, I think in, in some ways he's, He's reaching his potential, but I do feel like he's left a couple of opportunities on the table as well. And when I think back to the Wimbledon last year mm. when he lost to um, Joao Sosa as well, that 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 stings. But I think he's got enough years left in him fitness-wise that I think he will have a couple of runs. Uh, I'd be surprised if he didn't make you know, a couple of second weeks um, in, the, in the future, personally. Um, it does mean, as although there are no British players left in the singles, I mean, there are some British doubles players left. Uh, there are no British players left in the singles after Conta losing yesterday and Evans today. Cameron Norrie lost in four sets today. That was a bit of a surprise. Um, and he was struggling with hydration uh, in sets three and four. He he, he was playing Alejandro Davidovich Fikina of Spain, uh, who... I hear is also a bit of a character. I, d- I didn't watch the whole match, um, but he he played well. They split sets once at all. I think Norrie got a bit of an advantage in the third, and then suddenly he admitted it. it was totally transparent after the match. Just started to get blurred vision almost because of dehydration, and he, he won only three more games in the, the last two sets, which is a blow, isn't it? And I think that that's, that's the one takeaway i would have from the tournament having four british players in round two since the 70s is 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 great but conta evans and norrie not to win not to have a win out of any of those three is a disappointment from a british perspective yep every single one of those individual players I assume is and ought to be disappointed with their results. And certainly in the collective, it's kind of even more disappointing. Um, Norrie, Norrie's perhaps the most understandable because, I mean, I don't think anybody would question his, his fitness. Um, you know, that he's, 
he's hard as nails fitness wise he's been running 10k's in the hills of New Zealand throughout lockdown he runs a 10k in 36 minutes I think which is bananas to me I know that's a thing that human beings do um I can't drive it that fast (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, it, it seems a bit unfortunate that he should have suffered that depletion, that physical depletion. I actually, I thought he was having issues with contact lenses or something because, because he was gesturing towards his eyes, having issues with his eyes. So to think that he was having blurred vision certainly explains a lot because he was a breakup in the third and he dropped off the edge of a cliff. Um, so yeah, you maybe put a slight caveat next to that loss, but. Absolutely. It's a massive disappointment, especially after devoting so much airtime to that graphic of the uh, last time that four British men reached the second round of the US Open. Uh, well, Enjoy, we, enjoyed we, it while you had it. Uh, we made can, use of it while we had it. Yeah. Can, can I just ask about your thoughts about Murray generally? Um, his, his press conference last night, he said, look, you know, I, I want to see what I can get out of my body. Uh, and if I'm going to enter these tournaments, I'm going to try and win them. Well, you know, for why shouldn't I shoot for the stars? He said, um, if I'm going to enter them and, and absolutely fair enough. It's, it's, he can do whatever he likes, can't he? It was pretty jarring seeing him uh, that, that stat you sent me, Matt, I think that he, he had not, set up a break point in a in a grand slam match for only the fourth time in 236 matches uh that was a pretty jarring one but as you say i mean judy murray was telling us a couple of nights ago that he'd had an injection into his toenail to extract the buildup of blood which uh sounds pretty horrible um and gives you an idea i think of what he was probably having to deal with physically but, um, you know, I'm not sure how close he would have got anyway, given the way Felix was playing. Yeah, I mean, how how many other players... This is a genuine question. It's just coming to me now. I haven't had a chance to think about the answer. How many other players would have fared significantly better in the same circumstances, i.e. four-hour, 39 physically grueling battle two days before and up against a lights-out performance from Felix Auger Aliassime. My instinct was to think that he would recover better than that. And I, I, I was obviously naive about that and wrong. But I think I had that instinct because we do see players recover from those sorts of grueling matches okay players might not have beaten Orger Aliassime but they might have looked more like themselves that looked like the remains of Andy Murray out on that court against Orger Aliassime and it was it was particularly jarring um but I but I was encouraged still by the fact that he said he wasn't in pain I mean that's been the main blockage for Andy Murray's career for three years and if he's if he has overcome that and it's a question of building up match fitness by trying to play more then that's that seems like a path he could take and one that could lead somewhere in the future I I do not think Andy Murray is going to be anywhere anywhere close to be honest to the player he was and I think 
I think it will be therefore up to him to determine how long he wants to play not being that player and still just sort of giving it a go on the tour. I think he can have good results. We've already seen that. He's, he's won a title. He's beaten Zverev. He, you know, he's, he's still achieved a lot in this comeback. And I think it could be more stuff like that. But it's encouraging that he's not in pain and also encouraging that he said he himself was kind of disappointed with his tennis over the last two weeks. He he expected himself to get better, I think. And therefore, I think the more he plays, we will see him get a little bit better. So, look, I'm generally encouraged by the last two weeks of Andy Murray purely because I didn't think we would be having two more weeks of Andy Murray. So kind of anything we're getting is feels like a bonus, but... I'm not I'm not sure where his head is at in terms of sort of weighing up whether it's whether it's all worth it really but for the moment I think I think it is and he's going to persevere. Mm. Uh so we've got no British singles players left in the draw. We do have three rappers. So that's good. Uh, <laughs> Those ratios got, are all off. We've got Mute, we've got Denis Shapovalov who despite us all saying that Taylor Fritz would beat him last night, came back from two sets to one down and 5-2 in the fourth <laughs> to somehow rescue the match. So well done, Dennis. Night train all, back on the rails. All aboard the night train is all I can say. And uh, yeah, good win. I feel like with Dennis Shapovalov, you know, his first two matches, I said I wasn't that impressed with his level of tennis. And I, I almost took that as a bad sign. Perhaps the adjustment I need to make with Shapovalov is that it's a good sign if he's winning when he's not at his best, because that's the thing he hasn't really done that much of in the past. He needs that base level of game, those kind of scrappy wins. He can't have his A game all the time because it's so high risk. And so perhaps that was actually a sign that there is some improvement there if he's managing to win when he's not at his best and he wasn't at his best today against Taylor Fritz, but he still, he still managed to hit the higher notes when he needed to and sort of slightly wrestle the match away from Fritz in the important moments. And I was, I was impressed with his intensity in that fifth set. I thought Fritz was quite flat, whereas Shapovalov went after it and tried to win it. Um, First time in, well, first time since his breakthrough really that he's made the fourth round at a slam. So it's been a, it's been a long three years to kind of get back back to where we were, but um, perhaps along the way there have been small signs of of progress in amongst signs of disappointment as well. But again, I think I think we have to be encouraged if he's if he's winning when he's not playing at his best. He he plays David Goffin next, who beat Filip Krajinovic. So Goffin Goffin Shapovalov that could be quite a. A tasty matchup, and just to complete the uh, the three rappers story, the third one is uh, we discovered today Carolina Mukova, Catherine, who mm. was uh, who was shown on your live coverage, rapping in her suite. Yes, rapping with the acoustic guitar accompaniment, which is, uh, I mean, I'm not a connoisseur of rap, but I think that's pretty rare. Yeah, I mean, I and and I, I'm not a connoisseur either, but I would say she, she she's she's a better tennis player. Yeah, I I would say that I would say that about. I mean, I I I am quite having said I'm not a connoisseur of rap. I do quite like French rap because French rap is quite a different kettle of fish altogether. It's a lot more melodic and 
poetic to me anyway. So I don't I didn't mind Moutes. Catherine's I'm not on the be, moo train. <laughs> I'm not gonna be, you know, seeking out further Moute rap content actively, but it d- didn't offend me. Um Mukavar I thought it was sort of quite sweet, but stop now. And Shapovalov stop like three years ago. <laughs> Catherine's on the moo train. Uh, so, <laughs> okay. Uh, so, Karen Mukova is playing tomorrow uh, against Saronica Steyer. So, we'll see how she gets on with her, whether, whether there's still a rapper in the next round or not. Uh, Naomi Osaka today won, but was pushed. She lost the second set against Marta Kostyuk who's 137 in the world and was born in 2002. (laughs) (laughs) So that makes her her 18. Where do I know her name from again? She reached the, I think, third round of the Australian Open as a 15-year-old two or three years ago. I think she got a, I think she got a wild card into qualifying that year and then won you know, something like five or six matches in a row to, to go reasonably deep in that tournament. And I had her in my head as someone who hit who sort of hit a massive ball and not much else. But I was completely wrong about that. She does hit a massive ball, but she's an incredible mover. Laura Robson was commentating on that map on that match for Prime and was so impressed by how she was moving and scrambling and redirecting the ball and her her ability to put Osaka in some awkward spots actually um actually was noticeable and it was impressive from Osaka because it was a stressful match she just wasn't taking her break points she was getting in the be- in the better positions and then Kostiuk was coming up with either a great serve or a great winner up the line or something and Osaka was trying her best to remain positive and keep it in. And again, Laura Robson was saying, I'm not sure this is not sure this is the best thing for her. She needs a release. And then when she did lose the second set, she chucked her racket a little bit, Osaka. And then she had to fend off a lot of break points at the start of the third set. And once she did that, she was freed and she was able to hit the bigger ball and kind of knock her way through Kostiuk's impressive defences and in the end it was a reasonably comfortable finish for her but yeah it was a it was a really good match and Osaka was full of praise for Kostiuk afterwards Um, and obviously the one thing to note with Osaka this tournament is how she is physically and she said that her leg felt okay and she thought her movement was the best it had been all tournament so again another Another encouraging sign, but she's got Annette Contivate in the next round, who is playing very, very well and really, really pushed Osaka at the Western Southern Open last week. Well, Contivate is the player I've got in the quarters. I've got her beating Osaka. Mm. It's very, very important uh, for for my credibility that that doesn't happen. (laughs) Come on, Annette. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'm unbiased, except come on a net. Anyway, um, and Yulia Putinseva beat uh. Alexandra Sasnovich. This caused a lot of upset in tennis podcast towers for a couple of hours. Mm. Yeah, yeah that that was an ordeal that match. 
Sasnovich was four love up, and I was thinking, God, I saw Sasnovich coming a mile off. She's <laughs> blasting away through this draw, and then yeah. and then Putin saver Putin savored, and turned it into a scrap. And she loves one of those, and in the end was actually quite a comfortable winner. And Sasnovich be- be- turned from a sort of winner machine into an unforced error machine. Um, I'm slightly concerned that. Her playing doubles with Victoria Kuzmova might have might have dragged her down as she did on her day off. And it's, um, there's a definite correlation did, between her form pre-doubles and post-doubles. Did did they win the doubles? No. <laughs> right. Last year's U.S. Open doubles semi-finalists, Kuzmova and Sasnovich, out. Top at, top of the CV, that isn't it? It really is. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, we, as we come to you right now, it's one forty-five a.m. here in the UK. Novak Djokovic is very efficiently beating Jan Lennard Struff six-three-six-three. First two sets, two-one up in the third. Um, but the the big story of the day has been the absence for two and a half hours of Alexander Zverev and Adrian Manorino on the Louis Armstrong court. They were scheduled to play early afternoon about 2 2 30 or something like that weren't they and they just didn't turn up and the match had been called and we're we're looking at the court where are the players well we knew where Zverev was was he was he was lounging around shirtless of course in his suite looking very relaxed and like he had no intention of playing a match at all hmm and then the rumour mill just started going haywire. It was like it was stuck in a washing machine and just thrown about the place because suddenly all sorts of rumours were going around about where is Adrian Manorino? What have they done with him? What has he done? <laughs> and nobody knows the answer, really, to has, any of them. Has Alexander Zverev murdered and- Adrian Manorino? <laughs> That's not what I heard, actually. <laughs> but uh, but who, who knows? If you look hard enough on Twitter, it will be there. <laughs> yes, I shouldn't, shouldn't be laughing at that. But uh, but yes, I mean it was it was. I mean the fact that, as you say, you've got Alexander Zverev sat there with a big goofy grin on his face in his suite, and no sign of Adrian Manorino, and no sign of this tennis match taking place at its appointed time, and no sign of any retirement notice coming out from anybody either, made it all very, very strange. And and no official communication for hours. Just None. just just a vacuum of information. And I mean, you will know this. You two will both know this better than me, being much more experienced and having been to a lot more tournaments. But do you think that was a well, a, a negative side effect of not having press and not having journalists on site? Yeah, I mean, I think sure. a pretty, pretty much a definitive version of events would have been generated by the media on site if they were there within within an hour. You know, you'd have had a lot more at least out there uh, because of the ability to go and talk to people and see what's going on. Um, but, but I mean, the, j- just to say that the the reason that Manorino is was creating such chat about it 
was the fact that he is one of the players that has been supposedly within the bubble, in the bubble, within the bubble, based on being close to Benoit Paire, who tested positive for COVID-19 at the, on the eve of the tournament and was one of, I think, the 11 players uh, that was apparently um, subject to further restrictions on himself. And he'd won a couple of rounds. And then the, so all the question marks were, were well, what's going on? Has he been... Has he been taken out of the tournament? Has he been? Uh, is he is he refusing to play? All these rumours were going around. He's since played Zverev. I mean, what happened was uh, two and a half hours after the appointed time, we we then I think Catherine, you broke the news. I think on uh, Prime that he was going to take that the match was going to start at five p.m. Uh, local time, and uh, and then it was about twenty minutes after that. That eventually they they walked out, and so it was nearly three hours after the the, the scheduled time, uh, and just when that happened, the USTA released a statement which said the the match was delayed while a collaborative dialogue with health officials was conducted. Communication with the players was ongoing during the afternoon to keep them updated at all times. Given the sensitivity of the medical issues involved. We can provide no further details, which is not a particularly helpful statement at all. I mean, I, I don't, I, I doesn't give me any information really. I don't know what a collaborative dialogue with health officials is at all. Uh, as we stand, I haven't seen him come into a press conference, so I, we haven't had Manorino's version of events. He came out and he played an amazing first set, won his first ever set against Zverev on a tiebreak. He was very competitive in the second. Then he seemed to get a bit of a groin tweak and Zverev took over and won in four. But, yeah, it was really weird, wasn't it? It was a weird afternoon and that whole rumour mill circulating. Yeah, I suspect what was going on, though we don't know official details, I rather suspect it wasn't anything nearly as harmonious as the words collaborative dialogue make it sound. Mm. <laughs> Because that yeah. sounds like a lovely, fluffy, sort of huggy, yay, we're all on the same page, let's play some tennis. Uh, yeah. And if it was that, they would have just been playing tennis. Uh, but mm. for quite a long time, no one was playing tennis. No. So, and instead, well, um, people were having collaborative dialogues. Yes, I'm going to use that expression in the future, for sure. <laughs> um, David, I'm not arsy, we're just having a collaborative dialogue. <laughs> We've been having a lot of those over the last 13 years, haven't we? <laughs> um, so we, we're, we're unlikely to get a definitive version of events tonight in time for the podcast. So we'll, we'll, we'll bring that update to you in tomorrow's show. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Well, actually, we do have a bit of an update, so I thought I'd come back on and just intervene quickly here in the show to let you know Adrian Manorino's version of events, because he has been into his press conference and explained that the reason for the delay was the tour manager had come up to him and told him that the state didn't want him to play his match because he'd been exposed to a positive case. Sounds like they'd, they'd heard about what a happened to Benoit Pair and that there'd been people around him and that he was one of them and he was about to play and they said you can't play and it sounds like there's been a lot of negotiating in order to enable him to get out onto the court he said that Sasha Zverev agreed that they should delay the match until they'd sorted this out and he said that was a really nice thing for Zverev to do and uh, eventually they managed to get out there. But, um, yeah, it sounds like quite the diplomatic incident. Um, so there we are. Back to the show. One of the rumours I heard was that Adrian Manorino, this is completely unsubstantiated, but Adrian Manorino was refusing to play until all 11 of the Benoit Pair 11 were freed. <laughs> <laughs> Free Benoit Pair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you remember a week ago when Free Guido Pella was uh, was I do the biggest hilarity of it all? <laughs> Someone started a rumor that Kirsten Flipkins was at the airport, and and <laughs> and she she had to take to Twitter to say, "No, I'm not. I'm locked in my room." <laughs> She is hilarious on Twitter. She, she, she goes, I wish I, I wish I was at the airport. <laughs> I wish I was. <laughs> um, and Benoit Pair has had a pop at Paul Corentin Mute, like a really sort of aggressive pop at Paul Corentin Mute for saying that, that he wasn't part of the Benoit Pair 11 because he 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 doesn't play much he said I'm trying to focus on my tennis and I don't like to play cards and stuff during tournaments and Benoit Pair has taken that as a personal slight and has <laughs> taken to Twitter to tell Corentin Mute to pipe down 
it's all so brilliantly melodramatic. I mean, it's not melodramatic because it's about COVID and it's all really seriously and everyone should just... Ugh. Anyway, yeah, we've done all that before. But um, yeah, the, the, the petty squabbles within the seriousness are quite amusing. The, the bubble's getting a bit tense. Yeah, I mean, tennis players should not be locked in a room with internet and devices and nothing else to do. It is a dangerous situation. Confiscate Some, their phones. You, I completely <laughs> in, endorse, you know, the need for quarantine protocols, but I think they should come along with um, device confiscations. Yeah, that that's the next bubble measure it's, it's like when you go and get your when you go and get your us visa from the embassy in london and you have to give up your phone before you go in mm. and you sit there and you're suddenly like i'm not quite sure what i do with my hands anymore <laughs> yeah i wish <laughs> Kiki Mladenovic had yeah had this yeah when i got the notification that Kiki Mladenovic was doing an instagram live i i physically face palmed uh, right. Uh, well, do, would you like some good news? Um, you know how we appealed last night for the the opposite to on the boat for some help yes. with that. We've had a lot of a lot of correspondence um, on email. Liz has written in and said, "Up the creek is the opposite to on the boat." Without a paddle. Kaz on email says. On the night train. <laughs> yes, Gaz. That is great. Uh, on Twitter, Professor Fiona de Londre, I think that's right, Ooh. says, surely the opposite of on the boat is into the sea. Oh, yeah, overboard, walking the plank. Yeah. Over- overboard's good. I like mm. that. Uh, and Vicky Spreadbury suggests a three-tier system. On the boat is for thumbs up. On the shore is if you're not quite sure. And in the sea, if you are definitely, absolutely not on the boat. Oh, I quite like that. Yeah, that is quite good. In the sea, if you're having a lot of collaborative dialogues. (laughs) What would Felix Agelia seem be, do you reckon, with your dad? I I think on the boat... I think he'd be earnest and hardworking. And Ooh, what would Quarantan Mute be? Oh, you know, Big Dan Evans fan. Your dad. He is a big Dan Evans fan. Is Dan Evans on the boat? Yes, very much so. I will check in with him about Mute. Yes. Please do. Please I don't do. want to speak beyond my brief, but no. I. He's not. He's not into flashiness. My dad. <laughs> he would frown. He would frown upon the flashiness. Is he not into these um, Andre Agassi style revamped outfits? I don't. Again, if if I need to make a correction on this, I will happily do so in tomorrow's show. But I I don't think he's into neon at all. Right. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Novak Djokovic, by the way, is uh, as break point down. However, he does have a 5-1 third set cushion and a two set lead. So I think he'll be all right. What is the point, Jan Leonard? (laughs) (laughs) Now is not the time for that. It's too late. For that mini fight back. Yes, just... It's like the consolation goal, Uh, isn't it? Yeah, it totally is, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, right, uh, Stefano Sidspass is the other match that's in action at the moment. So we'll be bringing you up to date tomorrow on what goes on with those and with uh, Petra Kvitova, who's playing Jessica Pagula uh, in the match after Djokovic. Tomorrow, just a quick look at the schedule of play. And it all starts with Daniel Medvedev up against Mr. Wolf, J.J. Wolf. Uh, who is from the United States and ranked 130 in the world, 38 in the world. He's been downgraded in the um, order of play to just J-Wolf. Oh, yeah, he has, doesn't he? But in the the original draw, he was J-J-Wolf. Yes, correct. He's got a mullet, I see. Yes. Uh, Which is not something you see that often on the tennis circuit anymore. Uh, Those of us from the 80s, Remember them fondly. Uh, and how about this? For the, This is the match of the day, isn't it? Sloane Stevens against Serena Williams. That is an absolute corker. I was so pleasantly surprised just now when I looked at the order of play to discover that has been put in the night session. I feared it would be... It was, in the sorry, afternoon in the, session, yeah. in the day session, yeah. I feared it would be... Or I assumed, in fact, it would be night session because, well, it's because weekends, of ESPN. Weekends it's is the when, weekend, yes. That's when they... Uh, the, I'd forgotten it, about days of the week. <laughs> in the old days, it used to be when CBS would have the coverage, wouldn't it? They would have the and they would have the day session, and it would always be the biggest matches of the day. Yeah, genuinely forgot it was the weekend. Moving on. <laughs> Did you see who Serena compared Sloane Stevens to? No. No. Is this shade? Is this going to be shade? No, it's just slightly left field. It was complimentary. Miroslav Machir. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Because of her movement and her smooth play. Um, oh, I love the fact that mm. Serena has just plucked out yeah. Miroslav Machir. Do you, do you, just do you came think out she's been listening to Tennis Relived? <laughs> Olympics. That's amazing. That's yeah, fantastic. That great. I love that. Mm. Good on yeah. you, Serena. Who's go- right, who's going to win? Oh, I think St. Stephen's might win. Well, of course she might win, but will she win? Yeah. On, I mean, obviously, I've got Serena in my quarterfinals in my prediction, so... Things can <laughs> develop. Um. <laughs> look, at, look, at, look at that weary face on Matt. Aside from the fact that he's up all night, literally up all night, editing the podcast in a caravan, he's also fed up of me now. <laughs> asking me for more predictions yeah I, so who's going to win I will say I will say Serena I think I think she's been good enough this tournament that I think she can I think she can raise it and I think she'll get up for that match yeah I will, I will say Serena but I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if it's Stevens there we go there's a there's a cop out yeah I'd be quite proud of that one. Uh, I'll go Serena Williams. Uh, Yeah, Serena for me. Uh, And then in the evening session, Madison Keys against Elise Cornet. Cornet's already posted on social media her utter delight at getting a night session match on Ash. Um, Imagine if there were people in the stadium. Yeah, I was going to say, she knows knows they're not letting anyone in, right? (laughs) And they're really not letting anyone in on the night session matches because at least in the day you get the players who are waiting for their match yeah. or hanging around the night session it's a, it's it's a completely solitary experience mm. 
then, uh, by the way, Novak Djokovic has just won. He's about to be interviewed by Darren Cahill. And so he wasn't detained any further by Mr. Struff. Uh, and then it's Marin Cilic against Dominic Team. That that could be quite good, couldn't it? Do you think Cilic might, you know, roll back the ears a bit? I think he might. I no. don't. No. No. I don't think he's playing very I'm going, well. I'm going for the upset. I'm going Chilich. Okay. Okay. That might even that might even make it into my predictions tomorrow. I'm in the, holding in the, in the you newsletter. to that, David. That that will right. be in the newsletter. Matt, I've just told tens of thousands of people on the podcast, <laughs> so you don't have to be alone in that. Uh, but on um, uh, in our newsletter, it, that may be my pick. Uh, so anyway, we'll see. This is a corker to start off. Louis Armstrong, uh, Amanda Inisimova against Maria Sakkari. That is a good match that I want to see on paper, at least. Yeah, quite a contrast, isn't it? Amanda Inisimova with that lovely smooth style and Maria Sakkari's sort of slightly funkier style or significantly funkier style, but with sort of all the athleticism. I'm going. For for Zachary, I yeah, think. I think yeah. I would too. Do, do you know, if, if I had the chance, I think I would just go to Louis Armstrong for the first match of the day and the last match of the day because the last one is Ons Jabeur against Sophia Kennan. That's the one. Didn't they play at the Australian Open? I think they did in the mm. quarters, maybe, something like that. And I'm pretty sure it was quite good then. Um, yeah, I think that's that's a lovely contrast of styles and personalities. Yeah, that's that probably is match of the day. I think you want to get on our uh, a newsletter, folks, because somebody's going to go big on one of these for the predictions. Is all I can well, say. You, you just did. Yeah. See, uh, and so in my fantasy viewing on site, if I was there, I'd. Why am I saying that? I could just watch watch all of them on the telly, you know, and do it exactly this way. So first match of the day, I'm going to watch Zachary against Anissimova. Then I'm going to make sure I get to see Stevens against Williams. Then I'm, at three o'clock, I'm going to be over at Auger Aliassime against my new favourite player in the whole world, Quarantine Mute. And then uh, for the... Quarantan. 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 <laughs> I've done it again. Oh, God. Your new favourite person in the world. You're Whose calling name him Quarantine. <laughs> still my favourite player just because just his name's not like Evans doesn't mean that he's not my favourite player um, and uh, yeah and then I'll be over at Ons Jaber later on against uh, Sophia Kennan so that's all happening and it's all tomorrow and uh, can't wait it's going to be going to be amazing go and have a sleep Catherine you're going to be up in about six hours if that mm. um, yes you know. it's a hair wash day tomorrow which means 45 minutes less sleep how many of those do you have in a week? Every other day. Right. I don't really understand TV, uh, you know, and presenting and being a woman. <laughs> <laughs> so, Catherine will be doing that tomorrow. And uh, I won't. And uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> now I'm really struggling to to close the show. <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow, folks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, leaves an iTunes Hello, review. Zeus. <laughs> Hello, Zeus. Hello, yeah. Zeus. Zeus, save me. Save me from this position I've got myself in. <laughs> Hope he's, you're got a, a good... he's got a name which suggests that he might be quite good at that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Do, do you know, in, in the wrestling world, there used to be a wrestler called Zeus, uh, and his nickname was the Human Wrecking Machine. But oh, I no. Pre- Zeus the dog sounds rather gentler and lovelier than that. Yeah, I prefer this Zeus any day. And that's saying something. So uh, we'll be back with another tennis podcast tomorrow. <laughs> See you then. 